3: Hi, I'm Sam Cox. I'm Southampton journalist, and you can find me on Twitter at Mr Sam E Cox.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Smith, and I'm here tonight to talk about Burnley. You can get me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sports.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, I want to start off with what was kind of a hot news story this morning, which was, of course, Jordan Pickford not starting for Everton. Uh, debatable if it was the right call. They end up conceding two goals, although one ended up being a penalty. But I just wanted to get your take on that. Obviously, we saw this earlier in the season um, from Frank Lampard when he dropped uh, Kappa, even though they hadn't signed Mendy yet. It was just a, a one-match drop for um, Willy Caballero, I believe. An interesting tactic uh, from Carlo Ancelotti here. Do you think it was the right one?
3: Uh, I, think, I think so. I think he probably did it for a number of reasons. Um, the first is probably to, to get him out of the fire. You know, he's come under a lot of criticism. I know off the field he's had some some issues as well regarding the uh, situation with Virgil van Dyke. Um, and I think Carlo Ancelotti just wanted to take him out of that situation and, and give him a bit of a rest to try and perhaps clear his head or maybe feel he's in the right uh, mind space to, to play today. I also feel, and it might sound a little bit harsh for me, but I think maybe the penny slightly dropping for, for Ancelotti today because although Pickford... Um, has been a relatively solid goalkeeper in the Premier League. I, I don't think he's as good as perhaps many people thought he once was. I think he's probably been living off a uh, living off the World Cup and and the nostalgia that that came with that. You know, the penalty shooter got Colombia. He was the star of that show and, and perhaps that uh, tainted people's minds to, to think that maybe he's a slightly better goalkeeper than he was. And then, and the number of high-profile errors leading to goals, I think he's got the most errors leading to goals from any goalkeeper in the Premier League um, for Everton. And, and of course, in playing for Sunderland as well, um, I know that it wasn't necessarily his fault and he's a, a very young goalkeeper when uh, he played for Sunderland and they had that disastrous season. But he moved on to Everton, um, and then again, under Ronald Koeman, the second season under Koeman, he, he didn't have the, the, the best time to start with. I know they were languishing in the bottom three when Allardyce came in. So perhaps if you examine his whole career so far and you take out that that World Cup campaign and the, the joy that brought so many England fans with it, then perhaps he's not the goalkeeper that we all think he is.
1: Yeah, I think Sam's made some good points there and I think he has been trading on, on that reputation. But you only have to watch him to see that whatever it was that he had, he just doesn't have it now. I think he's got quite a frantic style of goalkeeping. Um, You think of some of the great goalkeepers and they're very stable, very still, very calm. Pickford's basically the opposite of that. Um, And I think maybe there's some parallels with someone like Joe Hart, who, when it's going for you, if you have that sort of manic goalkeeping style and you've got the big personality and the ego and all that stuff, I think it, it all works. But once you start making mistakes, I think you start to feel like a bit of a liability. Just watching Pickford recently, it's felt like he's been making an error every game. And if, you, if you're if Everton, and you've got aspirations to finish in the top six or the top four even, you just can't carry a player like that. Um, I do think it was interesting that Angelotti came out and said before the game, he intended it to be a one-game break. I think it would have been... Very interesting had Robin Olsen had a brilliant performance, kept a clean sheet, made that decision a lot harder. Antiglottis is presumably trying to protect Pickford from more criticism. I think Sam's right. He's taking him out of the firing line for now. But what does that say to to the other goalkeeper? If you're Robin Olsen, you got told that you're going to play one game. That seems a bit strange for me. Um, Yeah, I think it's probably been on the cards for a while. I think what happens next in Pickford's career will very much depend on how he responds to this. Um, I think Antroti could have dropped him a while ago. The fact that he's finally done it, even though he's saying it's only for one game, Pickford has to respond really strongly to this. Um, And if he does come back into the team next week, it will be fascinating to see how he copes with this because obviously if he's not going to be in the Everton team, it's difficult to say how he can be in the in the England team for when the Euros come around next year either.
2: Yeah, I guess that is a big question. You both mentioned the England job. Even if he keeps his spot, does this kind of cast maybe a mark against him when it comes to kind of tallying up who should wear the number one shirt at the Euros next year?
3: I I think um, Southgate has a a lot of faith in, in players who've done well from in the past. I think if you look at the squad, there's players there who, perhaps on there it shouldn't be. I mean, Mason Mountain continually plays. There's a, there's a few players and Pickford sort of falls into that category for me. Um, he's helped in a way that the goalkeeping situation for England at the moment isn't isn't the best or, or hasn't, isn't necessarily as good as it once was. Um, I'm sure Jamie can can touch on this better with me than with Nick Pope. Obviously, I, I believe Nick Pope is the better goalkeeper, but of course Burnley uh, having a bit of a Sticky start to the season and, and they're struggling a little bit. Um, and, of course, Dean Henderson isn't playing football. You know, Manchester United last year when he was on loan at, at Sheffield United, he, he looked like he was going to be the next number one. But because he's gone back to Manchester United and he's can't get the team, obviously he's not going to be able to dislodge David De Gea straight away. Um, I think he's sort of helped with that situation. But it, it, it'll be interesting to see how it develops um, towards Euros, I think. Pickford has a has a lot to prove, but I also feel like the other goalkeepers in contention have, have a lot to prove as well to, to dislodge him.
1: Yeah, I think Sam's right. I think you probably would have said a few months ago that England's goalkeeper situation was clay cut and that there was good candidates and all three of them had a right to try and claim that number one spot and suddenly we've got doubts over all three of them. I don't think Henderson can be England's number one if he's not Manchester United's number one. Nick Pope, as highly as I rate him, not the best starts of the season. So a couple of errors won yesterday. Um so it is a tough one. There's obviously an international break coming later this month. It'll be interesting to see what what Gareth Southgate decides to do about that if Pickford isn't back in the Everton team. Um I think Southgate has preferred his favourites. I think we've seen him keep faith with players like Eric Dyer, Kyle Walker, who maybe deserves to be left out at some points and have, have managed to get back into favour, so Pickford's obviously the man in possession, but if he was to keep making errors, as he has consistently, for Everton for the last six months, 12 months, I think it's very difficult to say how he can be the number one, but it's probably a decision that needs to be made sooner rather than later because you don't want that sort of uncertainty going into a major international tournament. We've seen that before with the World Cup that Fabio Capello was in charge for, the goalkeepers didn't know what was going on, and Rob Green Julie made a mistake in the first game, so I like think Southgate needs to to try and clear it up as soon as possible. Really, was that Rob Green the one-one with America? Yeah, yeah, I think so. My memory's terrible. I believe time. it was. Yeah, I think, I
3: it, think was. it was because it led great. to the best.
2: Yeah. It led to the best headline I've ever read, which was uh, USA beats England one-one, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was which was pretty funny. I think it was the New York Times, maybe. Uh, here in the states that had that uh, i totally agree with all of that uh, on the national team back to his club team a lot of people were really high on everton earlier in the season because they were themselves very high in the table still top four if memory serves if they are to really achieve anything this year do you think they can do so with pickford and net
3: i think they're gonna have to i think when I mean, elston today i don't know it was his debut and obviously the circumstances may have led to to not the, the best performance and everton have a little uh, have a little bit of a dip at the moment as well but I think with Pickford as, as Jamie mentioned earlier his erratic style and if they're they're going to push if they want to push I mean they've got the players to do so Hammond Rodriguez of course a fantastic signing and Cavaloo and, and start the season strongly I think Ancelotti's gonna have to make it clear pretty soon who he's gonna stick with for this push for for European football because they've spent a hell of a lot of money as they seem to do in the summer and it hasn't quite gelled for them yet I mean this season they've they've shown signs of a a a, a massive improvement but I think the goalkeeping situation with Everson is is a dark cloud that's sort of hanging over them at the moment I think if Ancelotti as I said he needs to pick one pick one goalkeeper and stick with him I know Olsen again one game you know it's hard to judge how good he is I think obviously they're in for, for Romero um from Manchester United couldn't get that one over the line so they brought Olsen in um but as I said, the situation, as soon as it's cleared up and whoever the number one is, I think if you look at the situation we mentioned earlier, Chelsea, um, Frank Lampard brought in the goalkeeper and he said from day one, OK, he's not starting right now. because He's not ready, but he will be the number one. And that situation is now cleared up. Edouard Mendy is the number one and, and, and Chelsea can go from there. With the situation today, with him ch- chopping and changing and saying it's only one game, I think... It's going can just create a bit of uncertainty, and and that might flow through to the team we well saw today. I mean, a defeat in Newcastle now that's back to back defeats after a, an unbeaten start to the season. And it, you know, from a Southampton point of view, if you're looking at Everton, they'll go into games against Southampton and Newcastle away and think that should be four points really if they're to to challenge for the top four. Um, And this situation now needs to be cleared up so they can can get back on track.
1: Yeah. I'm- I think uncertainty over a goalkeeping position is something that you never ever want really so I totally agree that they need to to sort that out sharpish and I do think if it's Pickford that Everton probably have a ceiling of top six, I don't think they can get into the Champions League places with Pickford in goal I think he's too erratic, he makes too many mistakes his defence doesn't seem to have any confidence in him now um, so I think that's going to be very tricky despite the fact they've got very talented players right the team. Now, I think squad depth is also potentially an issue for Everton. They seem to have a very good 11 and they're not much behind it. We've seen the last couple of games that Richarlison, not being available, has really had a big impact on the effectiveness of their attack. So I think depth is going to be an issue for Everton and certainly the, the goalkeeper situation. You, you tend to see elite clubs have a very solid number one. Everyone knows they're the number one. They don't tend to make regular errors So, I think that is probably what's going to hold Everton back this season.
2: All right, well, we'll go from there to a club that has struggled a bit more than Everton thus far this season, uh, being Sheffield United. Their last win came in a friendly on September 1st, which probably feels a lifetime ago, given everything that's happening uh, in the world at the moment. Not the easiest schedule for them thus far, uh, already having to face Arsenal, Liverpool, obviously the match against Manchester City. They have Chelsea coming up. But they are just on one point after seven matches. Is it time for Blades fans to start worrying or, or no, do you think?
3: I, I wouldn't say it's time to start worrying just yet, just because of the, the nature of the season so far. I mean, results are becoming so random at, at times and, and because of the, the uncertainty surrounding us at the moment. Um, I think for Sheffield United, I hate to say it, but it's uh, you know the old cliche of second season syndrome. And uh, perhaps that... They are just tr- struggling to to find their groove again. I know their their style of play um, won the many many admirers last year, and it, and it got them the results that, that they duly wanted. And uh, uh, I, I think they're just coming a little bit unstuck. I think teams have not haven't found them out. I think that that would be a lazy thing to say, but I think teams are setting up now to to play against them. Uh, and try and prevent them from doing their uh, doing what they do so well. Like they did last season rather than going to try and beat Sheffield United because they know if if teams sometimes if they want to go there and play, then they might may get picked off. Um, and I think the best example of that was was when Leeds went there. Um, be able to change the tactics slightly for, 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 from going from all-out attacking and, and, and fast play to a bit more conservative, and, and then they're able to get a one 0 win thanks to the, the Bamford uh, late late goal. So I think it's just about Chris Wilder now and how he how he um, unpicks this and, and how he's going to change it to try and get get results. Um, I think the signings that they've made in the summer haven't quite hit the ground running yet. Um, I know they've got this the policy of, of signing, you know. British players, uh, you know, Ampadu came in, Oliver Burke came in, a couple of players from Derby as well. And they haven't quite been able to, as I say, hit the ground running and and get going yet. But I think time will tell. Time will tell for them. Um, I think they'll struggle. I I do think they'll struggle, but I'm not sure that they're going to go down. I think that they'll be just all right. But I think they're in for, for a bit of a relegation scrap.
1: Yeah, I think from a Burnley perspective, they're probably one of the teams that we need to be trying to finish above because it does look like they are going to be down there. Um, I agree with a lot of what Sam's just said there, watching the the game yesterday and beforehand, Chris Wilder was doing an interview with the broadcaster and he bristled a bit at the suggestion that they might have been found out, I don't like that phrase either really, but it's what everyone says isn't it, Um, but I I do think teams are are sort of nullifying what made Sheffield United so effective last season. Watching the game on Saturday against Manchester City, you look at the scoreline and you think 1-0 to Man City, not a bad result, but City just had them at arm's length throughout and playing at walking pace, really. Um, and Sheffield United looked to be playing with a bit of fear, not something you'd really associate with the Blades, but they were consistently getting into attacking positions and then going backwards and getting into the same positions and then just not getting not getting quality balls into the box not really taking any risks, um, not seeing the sort of runs from midfield that we associate with their great results from last season. Um, I think goals are going to be a problem for that team. Ryan Brewster spent a lot of money on him. Um, and he doesn't really have any Premier League experience. McGoldrick last season was quite effective, didn't really score goals. He had a lot of goals from midfield last season, didn't he? But you look at the, the contract situation with... Um, his name escapes me, John Lundstrom, I think that's maybe a bit un- unsettling as well. I wonder mm. if there's maybe a bit of unrest in that dressing room now. It's come out that Lundstrom's refused the contract, so he's playing now knowing that he's going to be leaving at the end of the season. And That can be a bit disruptive if you've got a tight-knit group like Sheffield United. And yeah, they've brought players in both, both summers after they got promoted, but a lot of this team have been together from from when they were in League One. So they've come up together, and I think we're now going to see this team start to break up a bit. If Lundstrom thinks he can do better than Sheffield United, there'll be other players in that dressing room thinking, well, maybe I can do better than Sheffield United. So I think it's going to be an interesting one for them. We used to always talk about second season syndrome, didn't we? And I think the data suggests that it's not really a thing, but could be a thing for Sheffield United this season. I think their fans will be a bit concerned because there doesn't really seem to be goals in that team.
2: Yeah, last week's show, we talked about who were the, the managers that were probably on the hot seat. His name didn't come up. Basically, everybody just said Scott Parker and ended there. Obviously, people were mentioning Wilder as a potential manager of the year candidate last year uh, for what he did with Sheffield United, You know, pushing for a European spot for, for the vast majority of the season. Do you think that he is the right man to, to turn things around for them and that they should just stick with him regardless? Because if you go down, he was the manager that brought you up in the first
3: place. Yeah, I think I think they stick with Chris Wilder, and I think they have the faith in him to to turn it around. I mean, the manager to take them from from League One up all the way to the Premier League in in three seasons. It was. I mean, that's such a remarkable turnaround, and with the, with the players that he had at his disposal as well to do so. Um, I think he's bought and and has earned enough time to turn this around. And I and I also. Think about the situation with Burnley. Again, Jamie can tell me if I'm, I'm wrong or not on this. But when, when Burnley first came up and and it didn't go quite to plan and, and Sean Dyche um, was at the hell when they relegated, but they, they stuck with him and and they were reaping the rewards for that. I think Sheffield United should look at that and say, OK, if the worst does happen, then then drop down. But I think they'll still stick with him Because uh, like Jamie said just before, the team has been built for Wilder system, I mean, you're you're only really going to bring in, you know, the old candidate Sam Allardyce, you know, uh, the, the, those old names who who are going to just keep you up. And I think this team is built so heavily for for Wilder's system. I think some other managers might uh, might struggle to find a tune out of them. So I think the the faith will be there. I I, I believe we'll turn it around. I think they'll get a result. So I I don't think they're going to be anywhere near like they were last season. But I think. Um, I think they'll just be okay. But as I said, if they do go down, I think they could do much worse than than sticking by Wilder and and give him time to try and maybe rebuild and and bring him back up.
1: Yeah, I don't see a situation where they would sack Wilder and try and bring someone else in. I agree that they'd probably stick with him. The only additional point that I'd really make on this is that Wilder's been there quite a long time in modern managerial terms. And a lot of people think that it's, it's hard to get people to, to listen to the same message after a certain number of times. You say sort of three years, you've got the same team and you're telling them the same thing every week. People start to wonder if there's maybe something else that they should be being told. So um, I think he's done an incredible job there and he certainly deserves, even if they went down, the opportunity to to bring them back up. Like Sam says who's going to know that club better than, than Chris Wilder, but I wonder if it's um, the same ideas, and I think there's parallels with with Burnley. We've had it at periods as well. Dash has been at the club a long time, um, and the system stays the same, like it does with Sheffield United. There's not much variation in the personnel either, same with Sheffield United. So I think there's parallels there. And I think after a certain number of time, certain amount of time, I think all managers have to just find ways to deliver the message in different ways or come up with different ways of delivering the message just to try and keep it fresh and I think that's one of the challenges is going to have this season
2: yeah we'll definitely keep an eye on it to see if they can turn things around a a team that already seems to have turned things around is Arsenal and and in particular their defense they've already played some pretty big matches against Liverpool and both of the Manchester sides but currently have conceded the fewest goals in the league with just seven do we do we kind of buy this Arsenal defensive turnaround and if so how how high can they climb this year?
3: I think the top four I think that's plain and simple the answer to be honest Um, and I think they'll be very happy with that obviously without Champions League football for the the past few years. um, Arsenal have been in a team in transition since Arsene Wenger left um, and it was a big rebuilding job because you know when Wenger left they weren't at their peak, if you look at the, the contrast of in what Manchester United went through when when Alex Ferguson left, he left them at the top. Um, although they had similar problems, and and Fergie's genius was the reason why they were there. Um, but I think the top four is is what the is what Arsenal will will achieve this season. I think they will get in there. I or they'll be definitely there challenging. I don't think they'll be able to push much higher than that. I think as you say, <clears throat> their Achilles' heel is 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 defensively, and they still conjure up these these poor performances and poor results I mean looking the defeat at home to Leicester I mean that's not um, necessarily the the worst result in the world to lose to this this good Leicester side but if they're wanting to to push further than the top four then they have to win their home games plain and simple Um, and I just think that perhaps Arteta is now looking at, at defensive partnerships I know Gabriel has played majority of games. I think he has starting to look like a very, very good defender. But it's it's the partnership alongside him. I think it's it's still um a big question mark for him. Like David Luiz has played, Rob Holding played today, and I thought Rob Holding played very well today. Um marked the defence very well and, and Gabriel sweeped and, and did what he does best. So in 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 short. Uh, top four uh, I think they'll be very happy with that um, uh, the additions of party as well I think he'll only get better William seems a pretty astute signing at the moment and they've got youth as well so I think perhaps this season it won't be much higher than the top four but with Arsenal at the moment you can see that M- Mikel Arteta has got a clear plan and an identity he wants to achieve okay it might not come off every week and, it, and, and the performances may still be lacking at times but I think they're at the start of a journey now with a young coach where, where they can look to to the future and, and feel prosperous proud it. I think there's a completely different feel at the club now to, to when you know Emery was there. Um I think it's much more positive and uh I think the players understand Arteta's message better and and I think they're 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 gonna get better with, with Arteta.
1: Yeah, I think they're they're still very much in transition, aren't they Arsenal? You can see that when you look at them play. They're still a bit disjointed at times. I think there's a lot of progress been made there. But I, I think it is still a team that's that's in, in the process of, of being developed. I think there's still some strange things that Arteta's doing that I don't really understand. If you've got one of the, the best strikers in the league, I don't understand why you play him on the left wing. That just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um and to be honest, when when Kev sent the, the stats through, I was surprised that their defence had been so good. I hadn't really picked up on that, but um, looking at the league table, it's not actually doing them that much good, <laughs> is it? They're, what, eighth in the league? I don't know if this table's updated with the Spurs result. I think that's
2: right, but but still just four points off top. It, everything's still pretty clustered at the top there.
1: Well, yeah, obviously it's, it's very early days, but for all the excitement around the Arteta project, it's not reflected in the league table so far. And we talk about them defensively they've been good and they've played some of the big boys but what were the results when they played the big boys they went to Liverpool they got beat they went to Man City they got beat they played Leicester at home they got beat yeah. so
2: the one yeah today. I mean although they were the better yeah, team
1: you can go to Man United and win but everyone wins at Man United. Like that's not a big deal is it so I think it's 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 a team in transition I think a lot of managers prioritise sorting out the defence and I think that's correct. I agree with Sam Gabriel, it looks like he's gonna be a very good player. Um I'm not sure Rob Holding's of the quality necessary to be top four contenders, to be honest. I, I don't mind Rob holding. I just don't think he's the I don't think he's good enough to be um in any other team that's competing for the Champions League to be honest. So I think potentially a weakness. Like I say, I don't understand the the plan with Aubameyang on the wing. I think that's that's a bit of a nonsense. Um and similar to Everton, I think they've got a squad depth issue. I think Arsenal's best eleven is quite strong, but beyond that, and the cover isn't great in a lot of positions. Um, I don't think they'll get the Champions League. I think there's teams that are going to be better than them. I think Man United will probably finish above them again. Spurs will finish above them again. Chelsea will probably finish above them again. I wouldn't be surprised if they were about sixth. Gotcha. Uh, and
2: while well, you say everybody goes till Manchester <laughs> United and wins, I think that was their first time in 14 years. So uh, I'll yeah, for-
1: Palace won it. Palace have won Old Trafford <laughs> this season. It's not a big deal anymore. It's not I, a big
2: deal. I guess the point is when you say everyone has done it, they had not. <laughs>
1: they only won Old Trafford in February. It's, it's not hard no. to win it. Arsenal might not have done it for a long time, but it's not it's not a sign that this Arsenal team are or any more legitimate for anything yet. Gotcha. It just means United are bad. United are bad,
2: not off, good. <laughs> well, we've already done United or bad a few times on the show. Still, so we'll... so Bob. Yep. Yeah. We this, this bad. just in. One good result, one bad result. Seems to be uh, how it goes there under Solskjaer. um All right, we will just wrap up this starting section by talking to you guys about who you think will be in with a chance for the Golden Boot this season. Obviously, still pretty close at the top with a lot of familiar names. So, just curious, uh, who who you guys are going to want to pick out here.
3: I think it's such a difficult question to be honest. I think the usual suspects are going to be in and around it. Um, looking at the goal-scoring list at the moment, um, Son, Cavit, lewin leading the way. Um, Salah not far behind. I'd probably go for for Mo Salah this season. I think um, maybe if Danny Ings stays fit, then then hopefully you know as a van fan. Um, He'll be up there as well because that that will lead to us having potentially a successful season, but I'm sure we'll get on to Ing's uh, a little bit later. But yeah, I think just the usual suspects are gonna be in and around it. The teams who are gonna be battling at the top will, will probably have the top goal scorer within their team. I know there'll be there'll be players on the outside if you look at Ing's last season, twenty two goals, twenty three goals. Um, last season and we finished eleventh. So I mean Jamie Vardy's starting to pick up a bit of form now and he obviously won it last season, but in my mind he would probably be on be on Salah this season.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's going to be someone who takes penalties. I think that's nailed on that it'll be a penalty taker just because there's a penalty in every game. Yeah, with VAR and everything. and VAR and everything. So if you don't take penalties, you're not going to be in the running. Um, I think if Harry Kane can have a, an injury-free season, he'll be very close. I think he's probably a 20-goal candidate straight away. Um, but I think more Salah just because of the penalties thing. He dives to win a penalty every single week it seems, so even if Liverpool won a game, Salah will find a way to go down in the box, get a penalty and score it, so Salah's my <laughs> tip, just because he's um, a very effective cheat. <laughs> Liverpool fans listening being very excited by both of your Mo
2: Salah picks, maybe being a little bit less excited about the reasoning yeah, there. I'm um,
1: buzzing to check my mentions on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. giving out my username and then slide off more Salah.
2: there you go uh and then my favorite thing is uh the Liverpool fans that still like police Harry Kane who did go down softly twice today but you know you know tend your own garden (laughs) maybe is the strategy to take there uh yeah I I think all of you guys have mentioned most the the heavy hitters Kane is an interesting one because he has been playing a bit deeper but he obviously does take penalties and you know knocking on wood just doesn't miss them Uh, So that obviously helps him a lot. Obviously, a great finisher, but playing a little bit further from goal. But right now, Kane, Salah, and Calvert-Lewin are all tied on 14 shots on target. I think Calvert-Lewin will be damaged by any time Richarlison and uh, James miss, as they did today. Obviously, uh, the red card for the former and the injury for the latter. So, yeah, I think it's down to Kane and Salah, and then it's just who's going to score more <laughs> penalties, <laughs> maybe. Um, obviously, Salah not getting to start up front, and Kane increasingly playing further back. So it'll be it'll be an interesting one. Obviously, I think it's Son with still the standalone most goals. Or is he tied with Calvert-Lewin at eight? Yeah, currently oh, tied tired. there. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think you can look at, at Son's uh, uh, total amount of chances or touches in the box and think that he's going to be able to keep it up. Although, much like with Vardy, I, I do think you can rely on Son to pretty reliably finish over his XG just because he's going to get one-on-one chances where obviously the, the odds of you scoring them are a lot higher just because of his pace and breaking through the back line with Harry Kane not even looking and just chipping the ball up and and seeing if Sun can get onto it so yeah I think it's going to be a close one but yeah probably one of Salah or Kane come the end of the year all right now we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests
0: That's stamps.com. Code program.
2: All right, we'll start off with you, Sam, talking about Southampton. Uh, it looked a great win uh, at 3-0. You still managed holding on to it to 3-2 despite Grealish scoring just about on the final whistle. What did you make of that match today?
3: Yeah, I thought that the first half was probably the best we'd ever played under Ralph Hazelnut today. Um, everything seemed to gel, and and... We just looked like an accomplished side today, which is something that I haven't been able to say about Saints since, since Ronald Coon was at the helm. So I think Ralph's plan and, and Ralph's philosophy is really coming together now. Um, and it's just fantastic to see. I mean, you know, Saints scoring goals. And, and uh, you know, after a, despite a late little blip at the end, we looked pretty solid at the back. Um, but, yeah, I know a little bit nervy with with... Villa scoring late goals, but the performances, the individual performances of Ward Prowse, Danny Ings, of course, Romeo, Joe Walcott's looking sharp. So, really, really encouraging signs. Um, and as I say, looking like a pretty well oiled machine at the moment.
2: Yeah, obviously, the one downside is Ings goes down with a weird mm. injury. His knee kind of hyper flexed, but his ankle also wiggled. It seems like Rolf Hazenhudel is hoping that it's not as bad as it initially looked.
3: Yeah, I think the initial reaction of course, you know, given Danny's uh, history with knee injuries was one of one of worry and a little bit of panic because when you see the see the injury happen as you say a bit of a Hyperflex of, of the knee, and it looked like it got caught under him a little bit. It, it did look quite worrying, but the the early signs I'm not gonna say, encouraging, because regardless of what's going to happen, he's going to miss some crucial games for Saints. Um, but they said he didn't leave the ground on crutches. Um, his knee hadn't initially swelled. So at the moment, from what I'm hearing, is that the, everyone's fingers are crossed that it's not another ACL injury, which, which took such a large chunk out of his career. But as I say, if he goes out, and he will miss a few games. So I'm I'm sure of that. But hopefully, it won't be won't be the remainder of the season like a, a Van Dyke style injury.
2: Yeah, I, I think any Premier League fans will will look at what Ings doing and, and look at that moment and certainly hope mm. that he hasn't done any serious damage, considering how much time uh, he's missed because of injuries. <laughs> it, it looked yeah. bad enough that the moment it happened, I was just like, just don't be season ending. Like that yeah. would just be so so gutting for him and especially obviously something
3: for, especially for, for the Euros as well. I mean, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm going to have a bit of a bias here, but I think you know if you're an England fan watching that and you see the form of of Danny Ings, you know that he's more than likely if he carries on going to be on the plane, and he's a high quality striker to have behind Kane or you know adding a different option. So I think everyone, like you said, is is hopeful that it's it's not a, a major injury.
2: Yeah, for sure. Then obviously at the end of the match, you let in a couple of cheap goals. Do you think that was just turning off, or had they kind of figured something out there in the in the latter stages?
3: No, I, I don't think they figured anything out. I think Villa just decided to to start playing football. To be honest, they didn't look like they were in the game at all. And <laughs> Saints, and that's that's credit to Saints. You know, they didn't didn't let Villa play their style of football today until then. I think what you know, the reason it switched so much in the in the second half was because Jan Bednarek had to come off with a, with a concussion at halftime, and Jack Stevens, who hasn't featured much um, since the early couple of games a season, um Jack Stevens came on and we did look a little bit vulnerable at the back. Um so hopefully Benreck will be be okay for, for the game against Newcastle. But as I say, I just think it was had Benarek a on the pitch, I, I didn't see Aston Villa scoring, especially on the evidence of the first half. Yeah, it, it ended up being a, a wild ride <laughs> at yes, the end of the it's but. never easy with with Saints, that's for sure.
2: <laughs> right, right. But then you end up getting the three points and yeah. obviously that, that's all that really matters. Uh, come the end of the day uh, Jamie coming to you now last time I think we talked about the defensive struggles a little bit but this time I want to talk about the attack obviously um, you've got two decent strikers there but not so much result thus far currently bottom of the league in shots on target uh, and also in goals with just the three curious if you think that's more of a them not inform issue if there's a lack of creation or, or what's really leading just to this lack of attacking impetus
1: Um, I think it's a a bit of everything, to be honest. I think Burnley are never going to be a team that creates a lot of chances in games, but there's been certainly a couple of matches recently where we should have scored and and didn't. The West Brom game, we had some really good chances. Chris Wood, I think, hit the bar with. um, What should have been a goal? Um, The game this weekend, even, we were completely outplayed by Chelsea, but Ashley Barnes had a one-on-one early doors and if he puts that away it's maybe a different game um in the first game i think we had the better chances before before Sun scored from a, yeah. a set piece as well so um i think it's one of those Dash would say it's fine margins and making sure that you make the difference in both boxes all the stuff that he normally comes out with but i think he, he's probably right on this occasion it is just a case of Woods' header that hit the bar, if that's a few inches lower, that's a goal, we'd probably beat West Brom. If we'd taken our chances against Spurs, we'd probably get at least a draw, which we deserved in that game. Maybe even won it. If Barnes scores against Chelsea, then we go one nil up. Like, it could look a lot different, but every team can say, if we'd taken our chances, we'd have more points. That's just how like football works. So, why aren't we taking the chances? I don't know. <laughs> I really like Chris Wood. A lot of Burnley fans are still not that fussed about him, but I think he's very consistent. It's not really happened for him this season, but he's not had a lot of chances. I think probably say two or three this season that he should have scored and hasn't. Um, Ashley Barnes, I don't think has scored in the Premier League for nearly a year now, but that's because he's been out for so long. I think he's still working his way back to full fitness. I'm not convinced that he should be starting, to be honest. I prefer Jay Rodriguez and Chris Wood as a partnership. I think there's more variation there. Rodriguez is more of a link player. He can also go in behind. We have far more attacking options when Rodriguez is in the team. I think when Barnes and Wood play together, it's too tempting to just play a long ball from the back, which everyone thinks we do all the time anyway. Um, but I think it just becomes predictable and probably easier to defend against. So if I was trying to come up with a change, I would probably be considering Rodriguez-Barnes if that makes any difference.
2: Gotcha. Is there anybody in that team that you think is capable of being kind of a a classic tenor or just a provider that could really help get that attack going?
1: (laughs) Um, Dwight McNeil's the main creator in the team. I think most fans probably agree that he's underperformed so far. Um, It's difficult to really put your finger on why that is. I think teams probably know about him now. He's not got any surprise factor. He's played a whole season in the Premier League. Started every game last season, so um, everyone knows that McNeil's probably our best player, certainly our main creative threat. Um, and I think in games where we don't have a genuine winger on the right wing, it becomes quite easy for teams to then double up on McNeil. And <laughs> elite players find it hard when they be double marked. So what a 21-year-old, twenty 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 twenty-one year old however old he is, that's basically carrying his entire team's creative burden... When they've got two defenders on them at all times, I think it's it's basically impossible for him to do what we all expect from him, which is to deliver consistent crossing into the box. Um, so we would like to see more from McNeil, but I think it's tricky just because of of the way we are set up. I think if if Goodminton can stay fit, which is a gigantic if because he just can't, that gives us more balance with wingers on both on both flanks that can provide some creativity. So. I think it's it's partly the injuries. Goodmanson has has never really been someone that we can rely on. I think we're still missing Jack Cork in central midfield gives us real solid base that gives us that platform. So I don't know <laughs> It's the, the short answer that I think we should have just given straight away. I think Dash is probably a little bit baffled as well because it's it's essentially the same personnel and, probably just not really performing as well as as they did at the end of last season, post lockdown, Mm -hmm. when we had similar injury problems, players out of contract that we weren't able to play, but we were still getting results, and we were one of the better teams in the league in terms of results um, in the form table there. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a bit confusing at the moment. Yeah, you mentioned having the
2: same personnel. Sometimes that consistency can be good, but also it means that you haven't really brought many players into the squad over the last few years. That could be about to change, though. Apparently, some uh, buyout rumours happening around the club.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been, there's been rumours for for probably a matter of months, but it seems to be sort of bubbling away in the background with not much progress. Um, that all changed this week when it came out that a different consortium, I don't know if it even the consortium, a different prospective buyer was suddenly in the picture um, an Egyptian chap whose name escapes me is apparently the guy with the money but there's a lot of concern over the, the guy who's apparently negotiating the deal is a, a lawyer called Chris Farnell who seems to just leave a trail of destruction at every club that he's been involved in um, he was at Bury when they went out of business earlier this year uh, he was then involved in a failed takeover at Charlton that almost saw them go out of business so normally you would say takeovers happening. Great. This is going to be fantastic. But actually Burnley fans are absolutely terrified because these two guys do not seem legit. Um, mm. So I'd also be positive about it, but I think it's a case of sometimes it's better the devil, you know, and we know the guys that run the club now aren't the richest, but we know they're Burnley fans. They have the best interest of the club at heart. They're never going to make decisions that risk the future of the club. Um, so it's a tricky one. I think it's it's obvious that the club needs some investment to take it forward. Um, we've probably reached a level where the guys that are on our board now can't really invest more just because that they, they, they don't have the money. We don't have billionaire owners. Our owners are probably the poorest in the Premier League if you were to rank them that way. So I think a takeover obviously has the potential to be a very good thing, but I think the one that People are talking about it this week, people are quite scared about it, actually.
2: So, really, just fear about the potential wide range of outcomes? Like, right now, you know what it is. It could be great, but it could be terrible if they come in.
1: Exactly. I mean, um, the Egyptian chap, there's, there's basically no information about him on the internet. So, the fact that he's apparently got £200 million to spend on a Premier League football club, but he has no public profile whatsoever, um, suggests that he's maybe not legit or. He could be a front for someone else and it's, he's not really the, the real money man in the deal. Um, the lawyer chap that I mentioned, he seems to really be keen to get involved in, in club ownership somehow. He was also um, involved in the Massimo, Chilino, Farrago at Leeds a few years ago. A complete disaster of a, a period of ownership and he was involved there. So I think a lot of people are scared off by his involvement and the fact that we don't know anything about the guys apparently got the money either just makes it difficult for us to, to get excited about this. The other prospective party is like a hedge fund, I think, from America. And again, there's not really any information about it that, out there about these guys. So there's a bit of a vacuum for information at the moment. The stories this week, I thought it was quite interesting that they didn't quite through local media. They all seem to be briefed to the national press, places like The Athletic, the BBC here in England as well. They all seem to get this story at the same time. So they've obviously been briefed about it, but I don't think it came from the club. So I'm not sure it's as close as, as was being suggested in the last few days. Mm,
2: interesting. Well, surely if they aren't uh, legitimate or good owners, they'd be caught by the fit and proper persons. <laughs> they...
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah maybe maybe not too many safeguards uh in that regard all right uh, now we'll head into player watch but i just want to talk to you guys about who it's your club needs to step up if you are to kind of reach the objectives that you're aiming at for the season uh sam we'll start off with you
3: okay yeah cool um the at the moment you know as we be. be... You probably think it'd be hard for me to pick because you know Saints at the moment are sitting fourth in the league and and everything's jelling. But for me, I would just pick Nathan Redmond, um, a player who for Saints Saints fans has has changed a lot of people's opinions on on him, and and he's been an important player for Saints in the past two seasons. But at the moment, again, he didn't feature at all today. Um, he's fully fit. I think it's just a confidence issue with with Redmond, and uh, you know he's not producing. The performances, or, or, or getting the goals and that we know, he he can achieve, and uh, that's why today I think Ralph opted for for Theo Walcott to to start on the left hand side, and I uh, say Redmond didn't didn't feature at all today. So Ralph is obviously sending a message to the player, to say, look, we need you to be on top of your game if we're to reach, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's no public target for Saints, but if you know we could reach you know, the top half finish and, and better than last season, then we need Redmond to to, to be fit and firing. Um, as I said, we've got options now and I think that will help Redmond because in the past few seasons, he's always been on, on the team sheet because we haven't had the depth and there's been no-one pushing him to, to have those competitions. Now Theo's back um, and his first performance against Chelsea was, was fantastic. I thought he was man-of-the-match on his man-of-the-match on his second debut, um, we could call it, um, against Chelsea. So I think Redmond now has that competition and, and hopefully now that's going to, to spur him on. I think players can... Can get a little bit too comfortable um, and and can get away with with not so not so great performance on a on a consistent basis. So I'm hoping to see Redmond back um, back back to his best because we know what a great player he can be. Um, and when Ralph first came to the club. Uh, Redmond was fantastic. You know, he, he was perfect for Ralph's system on the, on the left hand side, and and he put in some fantastic performances and scored some, some important goals and, and registered a lot of assists. Uh, last season was the same. I know he didn't again didn't quite get the numbers that perhaps his performance uh, warranted. He um, scored a fantastic goal against Portsmouth um, in the Carabao Cup, and uh, but but since then he's gone gone off the boil. I know he's had his. Troubles, troubles with injuries, um, and his competition in Musi Genapo has had, had even more so. Um, so now there is a genuine competition for places in the squad. Um, Redmond's going to have to up his game to, to to get his starting place back.
2: So we'll definitely keep an eye on him. Uh, Jamie, who who at Burnley needs to step up, considering you're currently bottom of the
1: table? Yeah, I mean, where, where do you start, right? <laughs> I mean... Um... I think if you were to, to ask the, the flip side of the question, who's done well this season, it would be difficult to answer. So, um, probably everyone. I think the next game that we've got coming up, we'll probably not going to touch on it shortly, but I think Brighton away is very important. We need to get a result there. So, we need to see some improved performances across the board, really, in terms of individuals. Like I said, Chris Ward hasn't really started the season well. He was in pretty good form post lockdown the end of last season, so I'm a bit surprised he didn't carry it over. But I don't think the service into him has been good enough a lot of the time. There's been games where we've created essentially nothing. So it's very difficult to thrive as a striker under those circumstances. Um, I think actually Westwood has probably been quite poor this season. I feel bad about digging him out because he's been without his main partner, Jack Cork, for the whole season so far. Cork got injured at the end of last season. So um, he's played with Jack um Dale Stevens sometimes, he's played with Josh Brownhill sometimes we don't have that settled midfield partnership but Westwood is captain in the absence of Ben Mee, another player that we've missed badly so far and I don't think he's really shown the leadership that you'd expect from the captain I'm surprised that James Sarkovsky hasn't had the armband I don't know how important it is who's captain on the pitch to be honest but um, Westwood probably wouldn't be my pick Westwood's set pieces are almost always excellent, but this season they haven't really been money either. So that's been a, a big area of our game that's been pretty disappointing. And Westwood takes most of our corners and free kicks. So he probably needs to step up. And maybe that's why Chris Wood hasn't scored yet because the, the delivery's not been very good. So I'm hoping for a bounce back type performance um, the weekend coming. But uh, it's certainly. A, bit of a period of concern at the minute. You never want to see your team bottom
2: of the table, do you? Yeah, certainly not. Well, good luck to uh, your 11 starters improving <laughs> next <laughs> week. Um, <laughs> as you face uh, Brighton, obviously, you have the Friday match. Brighton, their own kind of hit-and-miss uh, team this season. Obviously, Burnley's performance is not always matching with the results at the end of the day. Are, are you feeling any more confident heading into this one than some of your previous matches?
1: Uh um. I think there have been positive signs. I think the West Brom game stopped the rot, meant that we didn't lose four in a row at the start of the season. Probably should have won that game. Then again, the Spurs game was another step up in terms of performance. I think we were really good in that game. So um, hopefully Chelsea will just be a case of that was a, a strong team with much more expensive players that just rolled us over. Um I think Brighton's quite a good matchup for us because they tend to have a lot of possession and not always do that much with it, so we'll probably try and soak up that pressure, hit them on the break. It might suit us to play a team like that. Um, I think they've maybe got a bit of a soft belly that we can get out as well. I think they're one of these very technical teams that aren't very physical. Sometimes you can rough it with them a bit, so I think it is a good match for us in the, the situation we're in, and I think we certainly need to get a draw. I wouldn't say I'm confident about it getting it at the moment, but I think Brighton's probably one of the teams that we need to be trying to get around in the table if we are to stay up. So it's, it's certainly going to be a, a tense one.
2: Gotcha. And then Sam obviously coming off the ride of what was originally meant to be an emphatic win and then ended up being just technically one. But mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you think you'll be able to carry that into the match against Newcastle, who seemingly just randomly show up uh, every two or three matches?
3: Uh, yeah, I'd like to think so if it's a home match. Um as I say, we've we've picked up form and, and we've we've done so well after two defeats um at the start of the season. Um but as you say, it depends what Newcastle side turns up. As you say, Everton today that they played them at home and, and I thought I thought Newcastle warranted the three points. Um Callum Wilson seems to like swore against Saints and, and has done so when he used to play against us for, for Bournemouth. So I mean he's obviously a player that we have to be wary of. Um the injury to Ings, I think that's going to play a huge part because Ings doesn't just doesn't just provide goals. Um he he's sort of integral to how we play. He drops in deep, links up the play. Him and Adams have, have formed such a Strong partnership up up top. That um, he's going to be more than just a goalsmith. He he's, he provides so much. So yeah, it's going to be difficult. It depends, you know, who Ralph sees fit to, to fill the void up front. I, I personally would like to see Theo go up front, um, and then Redmond come back in on the left wing. Um, we saw Theo play there uh, for Arsenal and Everton. Um, and and of course with Saints being on the on on the Friday night, we have a chance to go top of of the league, I'm sure the players will give him a, a bit of incentive, or it might um, be a bit of a bad omen that if you have one on the, the table, going into a game like that. So yeah, I, I'm confident that we c- we can get result. I think at the moment with the way we're playing, I, I, I fancy us to give anyone a good game of football, uh, and hopefully it's Newcastle who have who, been off the boil who, who turn up. Um, last season we we lost home and away to Newcastle, so it, it always provides a little bit of a burn on the skin for us. Um, you know, Maximin, said, so, Maximin, mean, is he gonna be fit? I know he picked up a little knock today, I'm not sure if he came off or not, but um hopefully he's not fit because, you know, as I say, with with Wilson and Max uh, say Maximin on the pitch, they're always a threat going forward. But as I said, um hopefully Bednarek and, and Bertrand also came off injured today will will be fit for the match. Um and and if we've got that solid bat four then then I feel confident that we can get three points. And go top of the league, of course.
2: <laughs> nice. <that would laughs> certainly, uh be fun for you and i hope that both of you wake up happy saturday morning after that friday double feature uh from the two of your clubs all right we will leave things there if you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on now would be a good time
3: cool yeah thanks for having me on kevin you can find me on twitter at mr sam Ecox.
1: yeah i can't promise to be any more upbeat on twitter than i've been <laughs> on <off laughs> podcast today but um, If you're a Liverpool fan that wants to send me abuse, you can do so at jamie smith sport.
2: Yeah. And I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at kevrov. If you want to tweet me calming things or gifts of dogs and cats uh, before this election week here <laughs> in the US, I would certainly uh, appreciate that and the reduction of my blood pressure, which Tottenham certainly do not help to do. Um, if you want to find the show, you can find it on Twitter at EPL Roundtable. You can also find it on all of the podcasting apps under the same name. Thanks so much to you two for coming on. It was a pleasure. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening.